uh, Crossroads. So good to be together again this week. Hey, um, at, you, at home, go ahead and put some hand clapping emojis in that chat box for our band. It's the awesome job they did leading us in worship. So, so awesome. So, so awesome. You guys can clap here in the building. You guys can clap. Hey, so we are coming into Acts chapter 10, which is this huge turning point, not only in the book of Acts, but throughout the biblical narrative. And um, to give you an idea of how huge this is, the account of Peter and Cornelius, I introduced it to you last week, and we looked at, we looked at some of Peter's actions and Jesus' reactions, or vice versa. Um, but 76 verses, the author Luke devotes to this account of these two very, very different people and their interaction, Peter and Cornelius. There, that's 76 verses, more than any other single account that um, exists in the book of Acts about the, about the early church. Cornelius has a vision in which God speaks to him. That gets repeated four times. Peter has a vision in which God speaks to him. That gets repeated twice in this specific account, and then it gets repeated a couple times later on. Acts 10 is a big deal, and I, I, can't, I can't emphasize that, um, that enough. So it's not only Peter. So we're looking, at, we're looking at Peter, we're looking at Cornelius, but it's not just those two guys. There are a list of people that, um, that kind of build, it builds throughout the course of the biblical history that gets us to this point. And it's those people who, um, who God speaks to, and then they act, right? Their faith in God, they put their trust in God, and their faith expressed in obedience changes the world. It changes the ancient world, and it changes our world today. And man, that is a loaded statement. Faith expressed in obedience changes the world. So we're going to do what we can to, to kind of dig into that. And the first step of digging into that is going to be thinking back to last week. I kind of mentioned it already. Cornelius has a vision. God says to Cornelius, send some of your guys, go get Peter. You need to hang out with him, spend some time with him. Peter has a vision. This one's a little bit different. It's about food. It's about food coming down from heaven in a sheet. And the vision, God says to Peter, get up, kill, and eat. And he reminds Peter that nothing that he as God has made can be unclean or impure. Peter's kind of scratching his head, does a little bit of arguing with Jesus. The vision ends, and Peter's processing. He's trying to figure out what it all means. And there's, metaphorically, a knock on the door. The guys are literally on the street shouting up to the rooftop where Peter is. And uh, we're going we're gonna to pick up right there. This is so, uh, if you are in the message notes on the hub, you can just click on that link and it will take you to Acts chapter 10. If you are in, a, in an old school, good old fashioned paper Bible, we're at uh, chapter 10, we're start in verse 23. And this is a little bit lengthy, but I'm going to read it to you because I think it's worth hearing the whole story before we, before we break it down. Uh, here we go. Then Peter invited the men into his house to be his guests. The next day, Peter started out with them, and some of the believers from Joppa went along. Peter brought some of his Christian buddies, Jesus-following buddies, with them for the trip. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I am only a man myself. While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. So Cornelius probably had his extended family, grandparents, cousins, and then um, some servants and the soldiers that were part of his, his Roman battalion deal that he, that he led. 
He said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law, this is Peter speaking, for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile, but God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So if you guys are paying attention, you caught that, right? Peter had the vision, and God told him that there was nothing was impure or unclean, but the vision was about food. So I think while Peter was making his way to Caesarea, he was still working with Jesus. He was still processing, and he came to the conclusion that God not only meant food, but he meant people, Jew and Gentile, and that's how he's able to, to make this statement. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius answered, three days ago, I was in my house praying at this hour at three in the afternoon. Suddenly, a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good for you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee and after the baptism that John preached how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross, but ra God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead, he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they had heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. I'm going to jump back to verse 28, I think, um, because this is the key to the whole thing. He said to them, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So if you guys remember the theme, right, for the key the, um, for the whole book of Acts, as we said, was this. If I can get to it, my clicking. When God's people submit to the work of his Holy Spirit, barriers are broken and people come to know Jesus. And we talked about last week that sometimes a barrier has to be broken within us, right, before God can use us to break other barriers. And that's what happened here. Peter, that barrier within him, he had that block, right, that he had learned throughout generations that Jew and Gentile were supposed to be separate. God broke that barrier within him. And then as a result, he was able to go on and he was able to help Cornelius and his family and all of his friends and relatives find Jesus. The barrier was broken within Peter. And then 
Peter was able to move beyond this Jew-Gentile distinction to bring Jesus to Cornelius and his family. Now, just saying that um, it doesn't give the full weight of, of what it means for the Jews and the Gentiles to come together. So what I want to do is I want to um, do a quick, quick history lesson on who the Jewish people were and what that meant and who the Gentile people were and what that meant. As we look at the Jews, they were God's people, God's chosen people. The Jewish nation didn't do anything special. God chose them. He chose them to be objects of his grace and mercy and forgiveness. He chose them to be a, a, um, a divine vehicle so that he could reach the rest of the world. He would reveal himself to them and through them to the rest of the world and in so do, drawing the world to him through the Jewish people. Um, God's people, he gave them gifts. The Jewish people, he gave, um, well, most importantly, he gave his presence, right? His presence resided with the Jewish people. He gave them laws. He gave them protection. He, the, the Old Testament, uh, people talk about how the God of the Old Testament seems so harsh. There are, there's law after law after law that protects the marginalized, the disenfranchised, the orphan, the widow, the foreigner, the sojourner. God sets up protection. It's his law within his people that the marginalized are supposed to be cared for. Um, he, he provides for their forgiveness, right, through a series of, of laws and rituals and sacrifices, and he gives the people all of, these, all of these gifts. I found a quote from a scholar and a theologian by the name of John Wolvord. I think that's how you pronounce it. Um, I wanted to read this for you. The Jews were a special people who were designed by God to be the channel of divine revelation to the world. Through Israel, God, the, oh, sorry, though Israel did not choose God, God chose them. And with extraordinary patience and tenacity, he fulfills his promises to Israel, even in times of apostasy and departure from God. God's dealing with them, both in judgment and in mercy, provided a divine revelation of the nature of God, his righteousness, his love, his grace, and his infinite wisdom. The Jewish people were God's chosen vessel to reveal God and all of his greatness to the world. The Gentiles, the word Gentile basically means nation, so it's everybody else. There's the nation of Israel, the Jewish people, and then there's everybody else. But the idea that that, that word Gentile means nation is important, so keep that in mind. We're going we're gonna to come back to that in a second. So Israel was literally surrounded by these Gentile nations and empires, and they participated in, in different uh, religions and practices, and it was really distracting and tempting to the people of Israel. Over and over again, they were like, instead of keeping their eyes on God, they'd pick their head up and they'd look like, ooh, what's going on over here? And they'd get distracted, and they'd start following off, off on a, you know, an Asheroth or a, a Baal, and they'd get distracted away from the, the one true God. And time and time again, they were tempted. So much so that God would often use one of those Gentile nations to bring about his justice and try to help to rein his people back in. Those Gentile nations, beginning with Egypt, and then Assyria, and then Babylon, and then Persia, and then Greece, and finally Rome at the time of the writing of the book of Acts, those empires all conquered and reconquered the nation of Israel. Right, so think, think about what I just described to you. We have the nation of Israel, God's people, in the middle, literally geographically surrounded 
by these people who are different religiously, ethnically, and culturally, and they are quite literally enemies. Right? So am I, am I setting the scene? Are you like tracking with the, the vast contrast, the difference between Jew and Gentile, the hostility? Um, the book of Ephesians calls it the wall of hostility that exists between Jew and Gentile that Jesus tore down um, when he died on the cross. And that's it, man. Only Jesus, only Jesus could take two such diverse groups with such animosity and bring them and bring them together and turn them into one people, his church. So how did he, like, Jesus is the one who orchestrated all that. He set it all up, but how did he do it, right? He did it by his people expressing their faith in obedience and changing their immediate world and in changing the world ultimately. So I want to take a quick step back. I'm going to go back in history to Abraham, right? We're going to get to Peter and Cornelius. Don't, I know you're anxious to talk about Peter and Cornelius. Just hold your horses. We'll get there. We're going to start with Abraham, considered the father of the Jewish people. When, when his name was still Abram, God said to him, go. I want you to go pick up your stuff, pack up your family, and move. I have a spot for you. Go ahead and go. Abraham went. And then much later, and quite infamously, um, God miraculously gives uh, Abraham a son, Isaac. A son is born to Abraham and his wife, Sarah, when they're both pushing 100. There's no way that that was humanly possible. It was an act of God that that happened. Then God says to Abraham, Abraham, I want you to sacrifice your son. So when you read the scripture, Abraham doesn't, doesn't seem like he bats an eyelash. He just gets ready to do it. He gets, takes a couple servants, gets Isaac, gets the stuff for the, the sacrifice, and they go. And just as he's about to sacrifice Isaac, God stops him. And he says, you have shown me your obedience, your trust, your ultimate trust in me. And because of your obedience, because of your faith expressed in obedience, not only am I going to bless you, but I'm going to bless the nations, right? There's that word, the nations, same as Gentiles. The nations are going to be blessed through your offspring. And that word offspring is singular. And um, I'm going to read to you this, this verse, right? There it is, right? From Genesis, it's, I think it's chapter 22. And through your offspring, singular, that's referring to Jesus, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Now, there is a long list of people between Abraham and Jesus. But each of them expresses their faith in obedience and in different ways and in powerful ways and changes their individual words. Here's homework, right? I want you to go read Hebrews chapter 11. And there's a list of person after person after person who demonstrates their faith through acts of obedience. Go through that list, and then we get to Jesus. And we think, well, Jesus is God, right? Who is he supposed to be obedient to? Jesus is supposed to be obedient to the rest of the Godhead. In the Bible, God exists in three persons, co-equally, co-eternally. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. When Jesus, before he started his public ministry, I mentioned this last week, the Holy Spirit called him out into the wilderness to fast and pray for 40 days. Jesus went. Jesus talks to his disciples, and they were traveling, and they asked him, you know, aren't you hungry? Don't you, don't you need something to eat, teacher? And like, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. 
Jesus got his very energy from being obedient to God the Father. Listen to the Spirit when he led him out into the desert. His very energy is, comes from listening to God the Father. Ultimately, Jesus' journey to the cross is about obedience. Uh, I think this is Luke 22. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. Man, there's a prayer, right? If you are serious about obedience, there's a prayer for you. Pray that prayer. Not my will, but yours be done. Because Jesus was obedient, he was obedient to the point of death, he beat death because of his perfect sinless life, he rose from the grave, and then he ascended into heaven. And because all of that happened, the Holy Spirit descends on the disciples and the apostles and pours out his power on them. And that brings us to Peter and to Cornelius, right? So think about Cornelius. Cornelius exhibits obedience in a number of different ways. We read in the description of him that he was a man of prayer. It said three o'clock. That was the traditional, one of the traditional hours of prayer. So we can read into that, that Cornelius was, a, he prayed regularly. He was commended and honored for the gifts that he gave to those who were in need. As Cornelius was doing his best as a Gentile to follow the God of the Old Testament, he saw that it was important to give to those who had less than he did, to give to those who were in need. So that's, that's what he did. God says, send for Peter. That's what Cornelius does. He sends for Peter. And so as I was looking about this, I'm thinking to myself, Cornelius' act seems like, you know, you think about Abraham was ready to sacrifice uh, Abraham was ready to sacrifice Isaac. Jesus went to the cross. Cornelius prayed. He did some giving. You know, he went and got Peter. But here's the, here's the deal. Here's the point. That there is no small act of obedience. Right? Later on in the book of Acts, we're going to talk about how God has us as a community as, and as individuals exactly where and when he wants us. And what he wants from us is that faith expressed in obedience. And in so doing, even in those little things, because Cornelius was obedient, he demonstrated himself to God worthy in his obedience and prayers, obedience and giving. So God showed up and he gave him something else to do. He had him call for Peter. And because he was obedient to that, his whole family came to know Jesus. This, uh, just a verse pointing to um, Cornelius's obedience. Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. That's why the angel showed up. That's what the rationale that he gave. All right, and finally, we get to Peter and his obedience. And we talked lastly about how Peter had to kind of struggle with this and work through, he had to persevere this news that, um, that Jesus was delivering to him. Don't call anything impure or unclean if I've made it. It's all, it's all good. And then he takes that and he, he does the wrestling and he you know, deals with, the confusion that that's bringing to him, maybe the fear of what might happen to him, maybe he waits the same, same fate that Jesus had, just being overwhelmed by all of it, but he perseveres through it, he keeps listening to Jesus, and he obeys. So when these Gentiles show up at his house, and they're like, yo, Peter, he comes down, and he goes with them, and he shows up at Cornelius' house, and as a result, they all come to know Jesus. So we have this chain of connectivity, we have this chain of obedience, this faith expressed in obedience that we see in the Bible, but it's not just in the Bible, right? That brought us to this huge, huge moment in Acts 10 that changed their individual worlds, that changed our world. But there are acts of obedience that go on each and every day right here at Crossroads. Um, 
Jamie and Allie Stratton, they're packing up their stuff and getting ready to move their lives on the other side of the world to go spend time with, to, to love on, to care for, to work with the students of Grace Community Education Center, our partner school, to work with Giram and Lydia and the rest of the staff. God put a call on their life, and they're being obedient. Recently, a handful of people stepped up and said, hey, God has put it on my heart to reach out to our students. Kate Rashansky and Dan Sherry Agabidi and, and, and Ben Nelson have all stepped up and said they want to be youth leaders. They're going to change kids' lives because they're willing to invest in them. There's a group of guys that, um, well, in normal times, they meet at Duchess. Now they meet on Zoom every Saturday morning. And I had a chance to sit in on their group last week. And these guys have committed to each other, and they've committed to God's word. And as a result, their lives are changing, their families' lives are changing, and it's just, it's inspiring. It's inspiring to watch. Um, in the next, over the course of this week and next week, um, there's a group of people who just completed 12 months of an intense small group experience that we call Huddle. And we ask for a deep level of commitment to the work that needs to be done and to the other people in the group. And man, these folks, they showed up. They put in the time. They were there for each other. They did more than was asked of them. And as a result, they're changing. They're growing. They're becoming more like Jesus. And they're changing the world around them. It's an amazing, amazing thing when we can, we're willing to heed that call of the Holy Spirit. Right After he breaks whatever barriers he needs to break in us, so he can break barriers through us. So it's our turn. Now, step up and be obedient. Maybe you're sitting here and you're listening to this and you have never expressed faith in Jesus at all. Maybe when I was reading that description of Peter sharing the news about Jesus and you heard about the forgiveness of sins that's found in Jesus, your heart was pounding and it was thumping. You know what that was? That was the Holy Spirit talking to you calling to you, breaking down those barriers within you, because he wants to use you to break barriers through you. And man, if that, if, don't, don't let go of that, right? Answer that pounding that's in your heart. You just stop right now, and you just, you say sorry to Jesus for the things that you did that put him on the cross, and you ask for a forgiveness of sins, and you commit yourself as best you can to following him, living a life of faith expressed in obedience. And, you know, as you're doing that, I want you to, um, to let me know, let Leanne know, somebody in the band, so we can celebrate with you, but just like Cornelius' family, but so you can also be baptized. You might be in another um, area, right? You, last week, there were some really specific things that people mentioned that God had put on them, that he was saying to them. And I, well, first, I just want to say thank you for those you guys who volunteered that stuff in the chat. It was real, and it was heartfelt, and it was, um, it was obvious that you guys were doing work with God. And man, as your pastor, I cannot tell you how encouraging that was to see that and to, and to read those comments and, um, and to know you guys are doing that hard work. So, man, keep stepping. Keep moving as you're hearing that stuff. And I know there are more of you that are hearing from God than shared in the chat. That's all right. But keep listening, right? Keep working through that stuff with Jesus. Keep processing, and then step into it. And lastly... Here's the last piece. You might be sitting here, and you're like, well, I don't know how I'm supposed to express faith through obedience. What, I don't know what God is calling me to. Well, even if this is the only, tonight is the only Bible 
you have ever heard. You have more than enough to work on for the next 12 years. Right? We heard about Cornelius and his prayer and his giving and his obedience. And we heard um, just this passage, even not even talking about Abraham and Jesus and all the heroes of the Old Testament, but we, we learned about God and how God wants people from all backgrounds. doesn't matter what your background is that God wants us to reach out to those people, right? Because he wants to draw them into the family, all, all nations. And, and even in doing the little things, right? Cornelius's men, when he sent them, they obeyed. Each of us, there, remember what I said, there are no, there's no small act of obedience. There's just acts of obedience. So as we look at the book of Acts, it's this impressive just, piece of literature, first, first of all, but it's also these people doing these amazing things, and I don't want us to get caught up on like, well, we have to do it just like they did. I, I think that would be a mistake, right? The book of Acts is not a prescription for how to do or be church. It's a great example. It's great historical precedence. We get doctrine from it. We get, um, we get a little bit of how-to, but it's not something we're supposed, to, we're supposed to imitate, but we do have these amazing examples uh, in the apostles and the disciples, they were ordinary people who submitted to the will or the work of the Holy Spirit, and they expressed their faith and obedience, and as a result, the world changed. And I believe with everything that I am, are you looking at me? I'm looking at you. With everything that I am, that we can do the same thing, that we can change the world around us, that we can disrupt Fairfield County, and we can bring the faith that can be found in Jesus, and we can change the world. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the gift of your word. We thank you for um, just obedient, faithful people. We thank you for the obedient, faithful people in the Bible. We thank you for our brothers and sisters here at Crossroads who hear your call, and they step into it, and they do your work. Uh, so we, we thank you for that, Jesus. Um, we pray that you would just make us the kind of people who would... Um, who would be willing, God, when you call, that we would answer. Even if we got to do a little bit of arguing first, but that we would keep listening and we would step into your plan, God, that we would be obedient, that we would, like we sang in the song, we're going to put our trust in you, God. We're going to build our life on you and make that our foundation and go from there. And then, man, we get to watch you change the world around us. Thank you, Jesus, that you are a world changer and that you would use people like us to do that. Lord Jesus, we love you and we thank you. Amen.